Hello, all my beautiful people. It is time once again for another amazing episode of If You Give a Dad a Podcast. So, this week is my anniversary episode. I have been doing this for a year now, and I am very excited to bring a very special guest to you this week. It is somebody who I met not too long ago at the Northwest Arkansas Comic Con. I was able to talk to him a little bit. And he said that he wanted to come on to the podcast. I'm very excited to have on J. Michael Tatum today. He is a voice actor for Funimation. He's done all kinds of great animes. And I am so excited for you guys to be able to hear this episode today. I feel this is a very high achievement for me on this show. And I hope to maybe talk with him again in the future. So for those of you who are here just to listen to the J. Michael Tatum episode, welcome. I hope that you enjoy what you hear. And I hope that you stick around and listen to some of the other great episodes we have here as well. So, if you guys are as excited as I am, then let's get this show on the road. If you give a dad a podcast. Hey dad. So where did you actually train at? I made a really good career out of being able to bump, sell, and I had a punch me face. I wasn't about to call you dad, so... <laughs> Seriously? I felt like I was in an anime or something. People get really mad at those videos. For some reason, like, it triggers really? certain people. Yeah. Bloop. Wow. I was actually lost as an infant, and I was taken in by a traveling group of independent wrestlers. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited for this one. Bro. Get punched in the face on the daily. Do you always do these interviews with your shirt off? <laughs> what? Man, this guy won't shut up. All right, everybody. So today I have with me a guest that I have been really excited about. And you guys know this because I did announce it in the last two episodes that I would be having this guy with me. He is an American voice actor, director, and script writer. He works with Funimation. Okatron 5000 and Bang Zoom. Um, he has played in so many different animes that I absolutely love. To name a few, it's Tokyo Ghoul, Attack on Titan, one of my favorites, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and he also plays the voice of Tenya Ida in My Hero Academia. Um, he's done some video game voice acting as well as some movies as well, and I am so excited to have him on today. J. Michael Tatum, how are you doing? Thank you. I, I'm doing splendidly. How are you doing? Thanks for that lovely introduction, by the way. I feel so official when you put it like that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I try to make, you know, hype people up whenever they're coming on here. That way, you know, they feel good when they talk to me and everything. <laughs> nice. Well, well, you're doing a bang up job. Well done. Well, well I done. appreciate that. <laughs> so we'll kind of uh. just jump right into things here a little bit. And uh, how did you get into voice acting? Uh, well, it, it's kind of a story, actually. So, you know, I'll do these these conventions and do a panel or something, and I always get asked by uh, young people, like, how do I get into voice acting? And I, I feel so unqualified to answer because things have changed so much. I mean, I'm doing this for 2005. Mm. Yeah, 2005. So we're closing in on 20 years of oh, doing wow. this. And it was a very, very, very different industry when I started. It was very niche. Um and and just with no no one in those days had any idea would ever ever go mainstream you know <laughs> and here we are all these years later where it's it's you know it's a big business and how cool is that but yeah when i started it was 
it was possible to be quote unquote discovered. Uh-huh. Um, frankly, because the just competition wasn't that fierce. Not that the other actors weren't amazing. There just weren't very many of us in those days. Right. Um, and so, you know, once things were coming down the pike from Japan, people, you know, directors and, and producers were like, we need more actors. We need more actors. I mean, you go and look at um, the early Dragon Ball stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is why most of those actors in the show played like eight different parts. You know, there were only like, you know, 12 voice actors in all of Texas in right. those days. And, you know, that, it's a much larger number now. So I, I got into it. So I, a little backstory on me. I, I've been a, an actor since I was very little. I started on stage when I was about nine or 10. Okay. And just fell in love with it. You know, I just did a lot of children's theater growing up. Then as I, as I got older, I did, you know, um, just all sorts and, uh, you know, then, then there came that time, you know, where we all face, I suppose, when I was like, well, I have to make a decision. Do I want to continue pursuing acting, my passion, or do I want to eat? And <laughs> so I chose food. Of course, and, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of fell into a whole other industry that had nothing to do with acting. Um, you know, I just sort of, I felt like it was a very grown-up thing for me to have done. I'm like, oh, it's tragic. I must say, you know, goodbye to my love and and you know, be one of those things they call an adult and, you know, <laughs> earn money and work a job I hate. And uh, and so I did that for several years in my 20s. And, uh, you know, but but of course, there was always that side of me that I still missed acting and being more creative, uh, which I didn't have a lot of opportunities to do in day to day life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I just happened to meet Christopher Bevins. He was dating a friend of the guy I was dating at the time and we all kind of would convene for these Sunday dinners at a friend's house you know, so many years ago now. And yeah, Sunday dinners, who still does that, right? right? <laughs> and we, we just our group of these friends that we all kind of, we lived in the same neighborhood and, and Bevins was kind of, he kind of uh, came within that orbit because he was dating one of the, one of the regulars and that's how I met him. And we, you know, we just had a lot in common. We were both kind of comic book nerds and we were both big Doctor Who fans, things like that. And and after several years of knowing him, uh, he was like, hey, man, uh, so I'm, I am I direct out at Funimation, you know, the Dragon Ball people, and I'm working on this show. Uh, it's brand new and we're just, we want to start on it in a couple of weeks here. And, you know, I'm looking for some new voices. Do you want to come in and like audition for this part? And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Absolutely not. <laughs> what? Um, I, I just I had no I mean I had no concept of what voice acting well I was a stage actor you know yeah, a little, yeah. bit, little bit of on camera which is a totally different beast I had never gotten I've never set foot in a sound booth before um had no idea what mic technique involved anything and so I was like oh no no you're very sweet but I'm I am just not qualified and I have you know I I fell off the wagon years ago so no you can't <laughs> I'm not your guy and fortunately for me, Bevins just doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> so he, his tactic was to call me every day um, around the same time after I'd gotten off of work. And he'd be like, hey, man, what's going on? So I have this show I'm working on. I'd like to get some new voices in. Are you interested? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you? He's totally <laughs> gaslighting me. Yeah. Um, you know, as friends do. And 
right he, yes he uh you know and he finally and i just kept saying i really appreciate it but i just don't think i'm what you're looking for and i'm not qualified and i just didn't have the confidence whatever and he finally made up this egregious lie he said look you're not full disclosure you're not actually going to get the part i just need you to come in and kind of audition to kind of lay down a scratch track for whoever does get the part because we're kind of on a crunch here and the person i want is not going to be able to, to come in and oh, spend wow, a lot of time sneaky. on it so you know whatever he's, he's a sneaky bastard <laughs> and and he's like and it's great so you come in and you'll just and say the words you'll suck we'll laugh and we'll never speak of it again you'll be doing me a favor and i'll pay you and um so it'll be like a paid audition but not really an audition and so i was like all right well that's okay you know what i'll get a tour of the studios it'll be fun it'll be a story yeah so i finally went in on a Sunday, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I went in on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, the engineer that was uh, engineering the session is now one of the like <laughs> executive producers at Crunchyroll. So this is like, like oh wow! This is, imagine these days, right? And yeah. uh, and and it was boot camp for me. It was a four hour session. Mm-hmm. I had to like I was matching I was matching animation. What we call matching the flaps, you know. And and Bevins, I'd never seen him in, in in director mode before. He was a task master. And, and it was, it was work. And I was like, you know, no, no, more emotion, more emotion. I'm like, okay, whatever. And, you know, and I was slowly learning how to, you know, reading a a dub script is a very different thing than any other type of script. The formatting is different. There's different lingo. There's different, uh, all sorts of weird technical things in it that you have to kind of process in order to know what's expected of you. Mm -hmm. And I was being taught how to do that. It was all just there in those first four hours. And then he was like, all right, you're done. Here, come out and sign all these little NDAs. And I did. I didn't read them, <laughs> uh, which was my first, my first, or maybe at that point, my fifth mistake. And um, and I said something to him along the lines of like, how do you mother get anything done up here if it takes you this long? Like, I'm not even the guy. And and he was like, oh, no, no. Okay. Actually, you know, it only took you 10 minutes to audition. And uh, you got the part and we just recorded the first six episodes. Oh That's gosh. what's going to go on the DVD, and you just signed a contract, so you got to be here for the next batch. Uh, next oh week. wow! So <laughs> you're an actor now, and that's <laughs> that's how he got me. Oh wow! He's sneaky so, there, you know, and then yeah, sneaky bastard. So it's his fault. He's the one that unleashed me. He's the doctor. He's the Doctor Frankenstein okay. that unleashed Tatum upon the world of voice acting, to much to everyone's chagrin. And, so we have uh, him to thank then. Yes, yes, and he'll admit it. Oh, he'll admit it. He's <laughs> proud, bastard. Um, so, you know, whenever someone asks me, how do, how do I get into voice acting? I'm like, hey, do what I do. Turn your back on acting altogether for several years. Wait for someone to come along and actually just throw an opportunity at you. Refuse it multiple times, and then allow yourself to be tricked into it. Work for me. <laughs> that's, that's sage advice right there, too. Yeah, I'll be writing a how-to book this summer. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that uh, uh, writing dubs and reading the script for dubs is much different. I can imagine because mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to m- match up the because you also are a writer now as well. Um, yes. You have to kind of match yes. up because, I mean, you're using the animation from a Japanese show and then you're trying Correct. to turn it over to an English translation that also kind of matches up with the way the mouth is moving as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. How do you go about doing that? Kind of can can you explain what your process is on doing this? 
Well, it's it's interesting, you know, because if you've done acting of of that kind, mm-hmm. uh, it helps considerably because it's all in the timing. You know, it's right. I compare it to to playing um, in a musical ensemble, um, mm-hmm. where you know you you may be the cellist or the violinist or whatever, and you know you have you have notes in front of you that you have to play. <laughs> That's the tune. That, those are the harmonies. Right. Um, but but the rhythm is coming from outside and you have to be you're just completely, you know, enslaved to that rhythm. You have to observe what the conductor is, is you know, you have to note the conductor's baton or at least what everyone else in, in the orchestra is doing. Right. And that that's kind of the challenge of music is it's always this kind of um, conflict between self-expression, but also restricting it within very, very, very often very strict boundaries. And so I'm a musician as well. I have been for as long as I've been an actor. Oh, great. Um, I don't know if I'm terribly good at uh, one or the other, but uh, I've had more luck with acting, that's for sure. But so, but it helped me a lot uh, with voice, with uh, dubbing, because it's like, okay, I have, you know, I have these words I have to say, there's the animation on the screen, the mouth movements are this, uh, there's the vowel sounds, there's this. And the if the writer's done their job, it's fairly easy. Mm-hmm. But you do still have to observe like, oh, maybe I'm feeling it and I want to say it a little longer. We don't have to have the time. you got to find a way to say it believably right. in, in the time given. And, uh, and writing it is more or less the same thing. And I don't know that I could really describe the process. I know that, you know, we have a, you know, there are often a team of translators that will give you a... Uh, as close to a literal translation of the dialogue as possible in Japanese. And of course that right. won't work because it doesn't hit the same grammatical peaks and, uh, and troughs. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it would fall completely flat if you tried to read a literal translation because Japanese and English just function syntactically so different than each other. Yeah. So it's like, how do I, how do I weave this into a line that sounds natural in English, but also observes the timing. And in the old days, because I've been writing almost as long as I've been in the industry, because I started about a year or two in mm-hmm. writing just to help support myself. You know, in this any creative business, you have to wear a lot of hats. And right. writing was very quickly one of them for me. And uh, for me, I, the, the process is, I, I take liberties. I, I've always taken liberties with the literal dialogue. And I focus on what's the subtext, you know, what's, what's the... Uh, What's the character really trying to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, the rule of thumb in communication, and especially when you're writing anything dramatic, is that characters tend to all, almost never to say exactly what they mean or mean exactly what they say. There's always this tension between what they feel they'd rather be saying versus what they feel they can. So, you know, like if you're watching a romantic comedy, everything hinges on is the person finally going to say they love you? Right. Um, you know, if they, you know, but we, we understand from the beginning that when they say, Hey, how you doing? What they really mean is oh, I love you. And, <laughs> you know, but they can't say that yet. You know, we have to see them go on that journey until finally the tension between, you know, what they want to say and what they feel bound to say mm-hmm. uh, reaches such a fever pitch. that They finally just say, I love you, <laughs> you know, and then, ah, and scene. But um, so there's always that like, okay, what's, what's going on literally. And what's it coding? What's it? What's underneath it? And then once I've got that, you know, once I have a handle of, of you know, what that is, then I can write something in English that approximates what's literally being said, but captures just as well um, the subtext, which is the story is always about subtext. It's always about subtext. Everything else uh, is just surface. You know, even the, even though it's clever line of dialogue is still there to make you go, oh, but what they really mean is this. Yeah. You know, that's just how it works. 
And I kind of love writing adaptations because my favorite thing about writing when I do it is character and how characters use language to express or choose not to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my chief concern. Whenever I write anything like that's what I'm like, look at the dialogue. I love that. It's great with that. Someone else has already taken care of all the plot things. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to worry about all that scaffolding. I just now get to fill it in with the fun bits, the bits that people will lean into and be hit by because that's, that's the plots just there. Not, I shouldn't say just, but the plot's really there to serve as the structure within which these beautiful little moments can happen. And I get to focus on those beautiful little moments, which is really wonderful. It's what I'm, what I feel is what I'm good at, what I'm interested in. And that's kind of the process. You know, I used to, in the old days, it used to tell, oh God, it used to be such a slog. I'd go through and I'd count flaps. Okay, that's five flaps. So I've got five syllables, you know. Um, and then of course I'd get scripts come back to me going, this is too slow. Because <laughs> you can't, you know, no one just, you know, we, so I had to pay more closer attention and be a little more nuanced with how the mouth movements were like, nah, not every flap is a syllable because that, that forces people to talk too slow. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And then like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then, and it was really slow going trying to turn that out. And then something clicked uh, a little while in. And then I got to a point where I would sit down, watch the episode all the way through in Japanese mm-hmm. uh, several times and just kind of get a feeling with, with the translated script in front of me. So I, I kind of knew what was going on. Okay. And then I would watch it at different speeds. Uh, and then Mark, when like, well, here's, okay, what's, what's going on in this scene? Where's, where's the peak in this scene? You know, where, what's, you know, what's the, what's the emotional, uh, peak in this scene or whatever. And just kind of look at the whole thing as a piece of music. Like, ah, oh, here's the, here's the thrilling part. Here's the slow part. Here's, here's the scary part, whatever. And then I would just sit down and mute it and just watch the animation and just let these characters talk to me. And I'd write down what they say. That sounds very, you know, hoity-toity, but it's true. That's really um, cool, though. I, I I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you enter into it, it's, it's it's very much like acting for me, where eventually you just kind of have to get out of your own way and be like, no, the character is you. Just do what you would do in this situation and right. stop overthinking it, you know. And that that's and and writing is much the same way for me, except I'm getting to play all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is its own uh, challenge and gift at the same time. But that's that's more or less uh, how it works. I make it sound so simple, don't I? Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I, I know what I'm doing now on it too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I have noticed, um, and this mm. is just from my years of watching anime and stuff, I prefer, uh, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, not from yeah. you, but I prefer dubs uh, instead of subs when it comes to anime. Um, but one Mm -hmm. thing I've noticed, I will put the subs on and I'll also listen to it. And one thing that I notice a lot of times they don't match up exactly when it comes to what is on the screen and what they're actually saying. And why is that? Is Mm. it, uh, because one is being translated from words and one is being translated from the actual voice or how does that actually work? Uh, well, so, so here's the thing, like, you know, they're, they're neither version is necessarily truer to the original than the other, because Uh they both have their own restrictions that keep them from being able to, to do everything exact point for point, you know, and again, it comes back to, you know, you have to understand that as languages that have both been around for centuries, Japan and Japanese and English have, um, developed in complete isolation from each other for most of their existence. Right. Right. 
And so there's not like, say, if, if I'm translating something from French into English, it's far less challenging because there's already so many points of connection between those two languages. Like yeah. 75% of English is just French pronounced differently. Yeah. You know, but the grammar is very similar, you know, so there's not a lot of, um, you know, but, but that's also when we're just talking about literal use of language, when you're talking about a literary or figurative language, you know, mm -hmm. both every language, every country, every culture has its own, a storehouse, if you will, of figures of speech, of metaphor. And they're different. Like in English, uh, the word rose might evoke certain things, usually evokes love. Mm -hmm. um, that's just, and there's no real logic to why that's just, you know, some poet used it as a metaphor in a sonnet mm -hmm. 4, 000, you know, 400 years ago. And now that it just, and it's stuck. Right. You know, but yeah. a rose, but a rose may not mean the same thing in Japan. Like it may, you know, if they have roses over there, of course they do. Um, right. But it may not have the same connotations by just luck of the draw. Okay. Um, great example is, and I'm, this is, I'm going to be rambling here, so forgive me, but a great example is um, in English, English speaking countries, generally, if we want to call someone a bad actor, like we're looking at a performance and it's just, you know, yeah, <laughs> I've done a few of those myself. Um, we typically say that person is wooden. We might call them a ham, um, right. you know, because we're not being literal. It's a it's figurative speech. You know, we're not really saying, oh, that's a ham. They're not a ham, right. um, but they're hamming it up. Somehow the the image of a ham <laughs> invokes <laughs> for most people someone that's just not doing a very, he's overacting, right? right? Or wouldn't, someone that's not acting very well at all. And the same metaphor exists in Japan, but it's a daikon radish, right? Okay. So imagine a line, and this has happened before in, in an anime that I helped adapt, um, where they're calling someone on stage a daikon radish. And it's funny because it's a known quantity. Like everyone in Japan, like they make a joke out of the daikon radish. It's actually in the animation. Suddenly, you know, the character is actually dressed as a radish. Okay. So it's really on the nose and it's very funny. Yeah. But in English, that's a complete non sequitur because we don't, radishes don't connote that for us. They just don't, right? right? So yeah. what do you do? Like, well, now you have to change to adapt that. You know, you might write the line, you can just leave it a non sequitur, but then now the humor is coming from somewhere else and it's engaging a different part of the viewer's brain because instead of just having something immediately that they get that makes them laugh, they're now having to kind of decode it and that right. puts them in a different frame of mind. And so you have to be like, whatever. And so, well, I can't do anything. The, the characters in the animation, the characters dressed like a radish. Um, what do I do? And then so I might change the words around observing of course the the animation and the flaps and the timing and instead of just having to go oh they're a radish oh they're a radish i might have one character be like well um you know they're a radish and the other, one, uh, the other person might be like don't you mean a ham you know then <laughs> okay you know then the same humor is coming through um at the expense of the same character which is the point mm -hmm. and and you're kind of a, and you're kind of honoring both <laughs> the japanese and and but also not losing your audience in english at the same time it's a challenge yeah. Um, Japanese is also an extraordinarily high contact language. There's yes. a lot of things that, that a lot of known sayings that just don't like that, that most casual viewers in any other language aren't going to understand on their own. Like, uh, means like it's a little, and that's all it is. It just means it's a little like dot, dot, dot. And okay. it's understood in Japan, that if someone says that to you, like, hey, do you like this dress? And this, ah, that means like, no, I don't. It's a little much, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, 
but that doesn't quite, you know, there, there, there are things similar to that in English, but you just have to find what they are. Right. And that's why subtext is so important, right? So getting yeah. back to your question of why subtitles and um, uh, uh, the, the vocal, you know, uh, dub is different is because, one, there's so many options that a translator can use to kind of try to communicate what's being said. Like I said, there's, there's very, there's not really, there's no such thing as a one-to-one ratio between words and their usage in a sentence. I mean, in some cases, yes, but for the most part, it's like, no, once the longer and more involved the sentence, the higher context needed. And so a translator likewise has to make decisions in order for, for what they're writing on the page for you to make sense. So you know what you're dealing with. And so every act of translation is, in fact, an act of adaptation at the same time, whether whether they want to you know, tell you that or not. And a subtitled version has its own restrictions. There's only so many words you can fit on a screen and expect you know, for so long before you have to change uh, you know, uh, whatever, because right. you know, people aren't going to have time to read three sentences in the space of a second. So now you've got to take those three sentences and give a summary. Okay. Um, you know, and you, you can't cover the screen. It can only be there at the bottom. And <laughs> right. so that that's similar to the restrictions we observe with the flaps, you know? Okay. So, but it's a different restraint. It's a different order of restrictions, a different nature. There's a, there's just a difference to it so that the end products are going to come out a little differently because they're working within very different, all those similar restrictions. One is spatial mm-hmm. and the other one is temporal. Okay. Put it generally speaking. All right. Yeah. I, that was a I, long walk. <laughs> um, well, let I mean, to, let me try to adapt that into one line. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of go into, uh, we've kind of talked about a few technical things when it comes to what you do and things like that, but I want to mm. kind of get into some things about you actually. Um, oh. So what would you say is your favorite anime that you have been in? Oh, I hate this question. <laughs> um, well, because every fan base has been I, like, oh, know, man, not that one. You know. Yeah, yeah that's always, oh, he didn't pick mine. Exactly. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot. I mean, honestly, I, I love what I do so much as an actor that I just kind of, I always get something out of the process, right? So I always come away from it with a memory that I cherish. And sometimes even maybe discover something about myself I wasn't prepared to that then stays with me forever. But so they're all, they all have something, you know, and they're all, all the characters I've ever played. They're all still here in my head and they all argue with each other all the time. And so if I pick a favorite, it's, it's like, they're all going to be like, oh, oh, not me. Okay. We understand. Um, <laughs> and I have to deal with that. But, but I will say, I think the most transformative experience I've had, and, and I, I pick transformative because I think as an actor, that's why most of us get into acting of, of whatever stripe because we want to we got we want to transform we want to become something or or you know let some other part of our personality come to the surface that doesn't usually have the means uh, that's that's what drew me to acting anyway and mm-hmm. i think the most transformative experience i've ever had in the booth and so it's my favorite show to have worked on was steinsgate okay which i also worked on as an adaptive writer with uh, patrick Seitz. and both both of those jobs uh, transformed me <laughs> quite a bit as a person, as an actor. Um, it was one of those milestone moments in, in one's life where I'm like, I, I'm not the same as I was when I started this. And if that sounds like bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can assure you that it was also one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like it was, I, I hated doing it. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> because of what an emotional roller coaster it was. Right. But I loved it at the same time. And I still, it's still hard to go back and watch parts of it because parts of it are just too real because I was really, there, there were moments in the booth playing Okabe, the, the main character that I kind of lost Michael a little bit or, or, you know, mm-hmm. the line between me and him kind of faded I got uh, you. that I was like, Oh, Oh, I'm losing. I'm, I'm losing my fucking mind here. I've got to, <laughs> and uh, I had to kind of learn how to, the, there's all everyone like you know everyone knows what method or thinks they know what method acting is right like people like jared leto who can like become the character 24 7 while they're working and do really <laughs> awful things sometimes to prove they're in character but that's yeah. really not what method is um right. lee strasberg who developed the method like it was about being able to turn the character on and off that was key yeah. to yeah. the method so it wasn't like so he would you know i'm sure strasberg would actually be quite horrified at what passes for method acting now where people oh they just are the character for months at a time or years and he'd be like no that's not the point the point is to be able to find that character and have them so lodged in a particular place in your life that that you can evoke them Mm -hmm. and also banish them (laughs) in a breath (laughs) turn it on and off because you know that's that's acting it's acting otherwise it's it's psychosis and that's not where we're going for right and i hadn't learned that in voice acting until i played this character when i was like oh god i am because I'd go in the booth and I'd play him, you know, just about every day, three or four days a week for eight hours a stretch because he talked constantly. I know, mm-hmm. part I was born to play. <laughs> and uh, But then I'd have to come home and work on the scripts for the episodes coming down the wire. And so I just never really had a chance to get emotionally away from that show. And it is quite a ride. Like the show itself is goes to some really, really dark places very realistically. And, uh, you know, and so this character just gets run through the ringer. And at the end of it, you're like, oh, holy shit. What did I just do? Yeah. And it was it was wonderful. I hadn't felt that way in voice acting before. I'd had a great time doing it and connected with all my characters, or at least hoped I had. Yeah. But I'd never had I'd never been kind of possessed by one before. Uh, And that's sort of what happened with with Steins Gate. I still think it's some of my best work, but I had to learn a lot about boundaries yeah (laughs) (laughs) creative boundaries uh and that yeah so it's it's become my favorite because i think i learned the most about myself as an actor working on that show that's cool you know you do hear that a lot about uh people they get too into the character and it becomes almost unhealthy for them like oh yeah uh, Yeah. i've heard of other actors who have done that with method acting and to where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I think there was even one. I think it was uh, Evan Peters. He plays in the uh, American Horror Story. And he was talking about how he had to take a break from doing American Horror Story because it was putting him in such a dark place doing those characters all the time. I used to think stories like that were bullshit. I thought of actors being like, oh, no, I have to go to a very dark place. But it's not like a sort of dark you would understand. I get my dark shipped in from, like, Europe. You know, (laughs) it it always kind of struck me as very kind of high-handed and and just, you know, self-promoting. But I don't believe that anymore. After having experienced it myself, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, no, that, that shit happens. You know, especially for actors that are very committed to the part. You know, it's all about you know, uh, living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. And the more truthful it, you are, the more real those circumstances become for you. And it's hard to get away from them and remind yourself, like, this isn't the show, this isn't the show. Right. And sometimes a really powerful show is saying something about real life mm-hmm. that is hard to ignore if you're living it. 
uh, you know, it's like, it's, 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 I'm, because I was also the audience. I was the target audience for that show, uh, Steins Gate. I would, it's the kind of show that I would love and watch and obsess over, even if I had nothing to do with it, creating, you know, professionally. And so it was, yeah, there's a scene. I don't want to give it away. It's a very convoluted plot anyway. So we had to spend <laughs> the rest of the interview just describing the show to you, but it involves time travel and the consequences of time travel. Okay. Um, and, and, and it handles it very, very well very cleverly and very like there's it's so emotionally grounded that you're like holy shit this is a good show it's more about the emotional journey of these characters that find this ability to like you know change the mm -hmm. present and in ways that they just they go oh oh shit there's consequences <laughs> but i just wanted this and now this comes with it it's so and i'm it's this is the most over simple over description i'd ever ever given of that show but um uh, there's a scene where my character about halfway through has an extraordinarily emotional moment. He has a complete breakdown and, and is crying and is just begging, you know, uh, someone not to do a thing that he knows they're going to do. He's seen it. He's, he's revisiting it, you know, in a way. And so he knows there's just nothing he can do. And it's a heartrending moment uh, where he finally, up to this point, he's kind of, he's a bit arrogant, you know, he's, he's really a nobody. And he, he copes with that by being kind of over the top and insufferable. And it's, but you understand it's all a ruse that he just, that's his coping mechanism. And he loses that coping mechanism in that moment. He finally realizes the only way that there's any chance uh, that I can stop this horrible thing from happening that I know is going to happen is if I just be real and tell this person, like, I'm nothing, I'm shit, please just don't do this. And I get emotional just talking about it now, but I cried in the booth. <laughs> I was like, Bruh! I mean, like, I don't mean like, I <laughs> like, cinematic like one one tear down one cheek perfectly right. lit i mean i'm i mean like ugly cry they kind of afterwards it's like i'm a little kid that's just been grounded and i'm in my room being like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was ridiculous right and the, the show's director colleen clinton beard who incidentally is also the director for my hero academia's dub okay um so i've known her for years and she was on this journey with me <laughs> <laughs> but she was like, Michael, honey, are you okay? And I was like, uh, uh, and like, why, don't you, why don't you go and splash some on your face, walk around, let's take a break, you know. Um, you know, let's 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 find Michael again. And and so I did, and I'm walking around the studio. I came back in being ready, okay. Well, let's let's do another take, because of course I fucked that up. And she was like, actually, everything you did worked really well. Um do you want to keep it or do you want to do it again? Oh, only the time you know she, she wanted to give me the opportunity to have a little more control over this oh, over the performance than i did in the first take right and i was like dad i'm not doing that again let's just use what's there so <laughs> you know if it works do it and so exactly they, they yeah and so now it's it's incidentally become a great plug for the show I'm like if you want to hear me jay michael tatum have a complete mental breakdown you can hear it in that scene because they kept it. It's that character's breakdown is me just having a breakdown in the booth. Okay. And just because I'm a professional, I stayed on mic. But <laughs> so, yeah, I don't that know what that says about me, that that's my favorite show. <laughs> I, that is actually one I have not seen that I, I want to watch um, because I know I have read about uh, that show and it love the uh, the plot and everything for it. And so yeah, it is probably here pretty soon show. I will be watching it. Yeah. It's a brilliant show and I am so proud of the uh, the dub team's work on it. I think everyone brought everyone in the sh every cast member is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think the writing it's the best writing I've ever done. Patrick Seitz, who wrote it with me is one of the best writers in the business and he just pulled out all the stops Colleen. It was just a 
it's one of my favorites. And again, I would say the same thing about that show if I had nothing to do with it professionally. I just think it's a great show and it was such an honor to get to localize it. Okay. Um, but yeah, life changer, life changer. Uh, when the I, sequel came down the wire seven years later, I was like, oh, no, don't make me do this again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we did and it was its own journey. <laughs> <laughs> I think my my uh, most favorite that you have been in and this might show my age a little bit, but Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood <laughs> is yeah. probably one of my most favorite animes, hands down. And uh, your character, <laughs> Scar, in there is probably, on top of that, he's one of my favorite characters because he has the most, he has such a development in in the show. Such he a really development, does. You know? He was one of my favorites. Um, the original uh, anime based mm-hmm. on the franchise came out before I'd gotten into the industry. So I didn't, I wasn't in it right. though. I was, I remember after I'd been voice acting the baby voice actor for like a year, uh, <laughs> Mike McFarlane was like, Hey, you know, I, I got to be do uh, some extras on the conqueror of Shambhala. And I think I was like soldier B or a, or something who got shot and died. And I was like red okay. letter day for me. I got to be in full metal, you know? <laughs> and then years later, and years later, they're like, Hey, do you want to be scar and brotherhood? And I was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, it's it's funny true story like the first i was so giddy and so excited and so very unprofessional when i got that gig um i came in the booth and i was like okay rico we're doing this and somewhere somewhere in the halls of funny or crunchy roll now um are, is a recording of me doing my first full line as scar to set the voice and for that to be the reference we'd use going forward so they'd always pick like a lar- larger line mm-hmm. um and it was somewhere somewhere was a recording of me saying foolish alchemists who turn their backs on the ways of god shall be punished followed by <laughs> <laughs> and mike mcfarlane the director is now one of my one of my best friends now for years just looked at me through the glass like the <laughs> was that and i was like nothing nothing it's fine it's fine let's my i think we found the voice you know <laughs> I was just so giddy to get to be in the show and to play Scar because you're right. He's such a he's such a developed character. He's such a he's such a great uh, kind of sustained meditation on the trope of the the noble adversary. You know, the right. the villain who has a point. Right. And uh, God, it was just such a journey. And like we, I feel like you know because Brotherhood followed the manga. Yes much closer because the manga was done by the time right. they got started with the anime yep. and uh, with that anime. So like you get to see Scar as he was really meant to be, I think. Although I have to say, I love Damien Clark's performance in the original dub. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that's still my Scar. That's I, that's the Scar I'm the fan of is Damien Clark's. And I met him years later and was like, hey, hey, hi, do we have to fight now? <laughs> <laughs> but he was incredibly gracious. He would have taken the role if he could, but he was he was working on a movie at the time and just couldn't fly back to Dallas uh, okay. um, without going out of contract. And so he, they, they were like, well, you know, it's a different enough, you know, and of course several other actors had to be replaced because Aaron Dismuke had aged out of that voice playing mm-hmm. Al. And so that went to the, the wonderful Maxie Whitehead. Um, and so, you know, and Mike was like, well, it's, you know, it's a retelling of a story fans already know, and it's going in a different direction about halfway through. So, you know, right. recasting can make sense. And so he, we kind of made Scar, uh, well, I think they, they made Scar differently. And so we were able to approach his, the performance differently. Right. Uh, I still think they're both wonderful shows um, oh. in their own right. But yes, they, they are. And, uh, you know, I, I did watch the original one first. And uh, of course, it, it's an interesting 
the movie that they had come out at the end to kind of wrap things up. And Mm -hmm. it was an interesting way of taking it. It wasn't something that I actually saw coming. So uh, when I rewatched with brotherhood, I was like, okay, uh, it, to me, it made a little bit more sense uh, with the way that they did it. Because obviously, like you said, that one follows the manga, but they're both very good stories. Yeah, they really are. They really are. And I mean, that's the reason they're still among the most popular shows yeah um ever done in an anime you know yeah. i've been very lucky in my career to get to kind of hoist my flag on a lot of cool legacy properties after the fact <laughs> <laughs> um you know when when they're getting to be revisited and worked on by fans of the original that's happened multiple times in my career and it's just you know not to say that the originals aren't great but Right. We don't often know what we have then. And it's so lovely to get to come back and work on a different iteration of a show that we now know how good it is. And we now, we now, you know, there's now just tons of people that have a, a, uh, you know, a very close relationship with the material. And it's, it's it's so cool. So freaking cool. Like case in point, like I was never in the original fruits basket anime, which was kind of a, watershed anime especially for funimation Mm -hmm. back in the day but it was you know it was right as i was starting and i don't even think i auditioned for it it just was one of those things i just it didn't kind of come into my orbit but but then you know all these years later 20 plus years later i'm I'm a pivotal character in the film that came out and i was like they're retrofitting me now and and all these (laughs) classic shows it's wonderful (laughs) because i get to feel young and old at the same time So outside of doing this, do you have any hobbies that you like to do? Yeah, I like to compose music. Um, okay. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, I've, I've uh, played piano from a very young age. My grandfather was a pianist, a oh. really good one too. And uh, so he taught me when I was very little. In fact, I think I probably uh, had a relationship to music longer than I have with acting. I think I found acting around nine or 10, and but I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't playing piano. Okay. Uh, that's how far back it goes. And so I started, you know, I, I hadn't really, it was the, it became my pandemic hobby. I started composing orchestral works because I'd always meant to, and I just hadn't had a lot of time. Oh. Uh, but you know, being stuck at home for what, two years, yeah. <laughs> there was no yeah. longer an excuse. So I started writing like little orchestral pieces and stuff and, uh, you know, no, nothing. I mean, I might put it out there one day and it's, it's still just, it's just kind of a hobby to do. It's like cooking, you know, it's for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I like, you know, I still I also write my own stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love to teach. I love to teach acting. Um, I do that when I can. I guess I wouldn't call that a hobby, but you know, I, for me, it's it, uh, I kind of I, I approach it with the passion as one would a hobby because I just love I love love teaching. Right. And uh, yeah, other than that, no, and then spoiling my French bulldogs, you know, going to the gym. <laughs> my life isn't terribly interesting beyond. Beyond, uh, you know, uh, I'm 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 a homebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I read a lot. You know, I'm very, I'm not very, I'm not dramatic material. Like I'm not a good subject of a drama because uh, from the outside looking in, I look so boring. <laughs> and just a guy sitting in a chair reading a book with a gin and tonic on the table next to him. You know, maybe playing a piano here and there, watching a true crime documentary. I mean, that's basically what I do. Um, so, you know, I'm not like mountain climbing or <laughs> jumping out of planes. It's nothing quite. So I save all, all the action for, uh, the, <laughs> the animation I'm dubbing. <laughs> uh, hey, that sounds all right by me. You know, I, I've got two young kids at home. So that quiet time where I can read 
or you know do music or things oh, like that yeah. then you know I, I appreciate those things so yeah I, sounds oh, great yeah. to me yeah <laughs> it's 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 nice i'm not gonna lie it's nice i'm you know i'm very lucky I, I not that anything really good came out of the pandemic but let's just say i was ready for that lockdown <laughs> i was like oh i'm i'm good i'm good you guys and now that it's now that we've more or less gone back to normal i'm like oh shit now i have to come up with excuses not to socialize <laughs> yeah socializing isn't always the greatest a, so you know i get that i'm i'm a bit of a hermit actually i know i don't sound like one but i'm i'm, I'm actually a terrible introvert really really introverted like i don't do um big social, social gatherings very much like yeah. it's different at cons because like oh well everyone who's there likes me or they wouldn't be at my table presumably right. so i i have the advantage <laughs> you know but um <laughs> and but even then it's really draining i guess like someone explained to me recently that the difference between an extrovert and introvert isn't necessarily that one is withdrawn socially and that the other isn't it's like that it's about where you get your energy from and what you have to do to recharge right. extroverts really get energy from social interaction and so sustained solitude really drains their batteries and they need socialization to recharge and for introverts it's the opposite they can socialize and even enjoy it as as i can but they can only do it for so long before they need to recharge in seclusion um, and that's pretty much, and most of my, I think it's why I'm, it's why I'm, you know, a writer, you know, writers tend to be very introverted. Yes. Um, you know, it's also why I'm, a, I'm an actor because, you know, introverts need a script. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it's, it's worked for me, so I can't complain. Yeah. I lean into it. So I know you, uh, whenever I talk to you at Comic-Con, uh, which I think is a great story of me meeting you and stuff like that, because it was just on a whim that I was like, maybe I can get you on my podcast one day. And you were like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> it kind of threw me off. You know, <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. So, <laughs> um, well, shit, I would, if I'd known that I'd have been more difficult. I, <laughs> I'd known your threshold was higher. I would have, I would have been far more difficult to get a hold of. <laughs> Damn it. Well, you know. lead with that next time. Well, I mean, then, then yeah, you know. <laughs> so I know that you said that you've also done a podcast. Uh, it's called uh, Ghoul Intentions. Right, right, right. With uh, my best friend, Jamie Markey, who's also a voice actor. She She's also a voice actor, writer. Okay. And she works for Gearbox, the people that brought us the Borderlands franchise, among many other fine, fine things. Okay. And um, yeah, she and I have, we've known each other for, I mean, about 20 years at this point. And um, we bonded over ghost stories. I love a good paranormal story. I always have. And, I, and I'm something of a skeptic. I want to be clear. I, I don't believe in everything. But I love a good story. Like, I love the suspension of disbelief. And sometimes I'll be like, well, there's some shit going on there. Um, <laughs> and she's the same way. We, we bonded. We were uh, in the studios together working on something. And then, um, you know, we just were like, we just started casually sharing ghost stories that you know personal experiences that we've had and we bought we're like oh my god you're one of them you're one of those people that loves ghost stories oh my god <laughs> and so we started hanging out and it's everyone just understood if jamie and michael are in the room together at some point the topic of conversation is going to circle around too so if you had anything weird happen in your life you know <laughs> <laughs> that's and, cool you know and then you know one day we just decided why the fuck aren't we doing a podcast about this we have so many stories and and that developed into us kind of just why don't we, you know, we wanted to do deep dives on topics that we'd known about for a while, but really hadn't mm -hmm. looked into. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd choose really the format became uh, us, you know, coming to the table each week 
um, with our drinks and our research and being like, all right, Jamie, I've got a story for you and you're going to be surprised. And, and she doing the same thing with me. Um, and like, so, and we're just basically trying to scare the shit out of you or entertain the other person with, with our, uh, as with our well-researched deep dives into various otherwise well-known paranormal topics. Like, so we've done stuff on everything from the Winchester mansion, which is one of my favorite debunk and uh, debunking episodes, what we would call an actually, um, <laughs> and, uh, to like, you know, all like haunted colleges, we would do those for a slew. It was just super fun. And then we, we kind of branched off. Um, there was a little, um, something we called ghosticles. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, uh, where we would read and uh, discuss, um, user submissions where people were encouraged to write in their own experiences uh, and sometimes they were quite terrifying or funny. Like it was just, it was really cool. And so it just kind of formed this little community. We sadly, we don't do it anymore. Okay. Um, we've decided we've just, we're both too busy. You know, after I moved out to LA, um, you know, a couple of years ago and she moved out to El Paso in Texas. So we're no longer living near each other that we do mm. keep in touch, of course. And I, we drive out to see her every chance we get, right. but um, it's just not practical to do the podcast anymore, especially with the amount of research we would like to do for each episode. And so we're like, well, you know, I think we, we should probably quit while we're ahead. And um, so we did, but it still has I think, over 200 episodes out there that are, you know, on the, the average episodes about two hours. And then the ghosticles mm-hmm. usually go on for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. <laughs> it just depends <laughs> on how much we're both talkers. Um, and that's, yeah, we just started doing that and it was really fun. It was, a, it was a really fun, I think we did it for about four years. Okay. Um, three and a half, four years. And, and we might, we might revisit it at some point. We might, we might come back and do little special episodes. Um, but it was a ball and I'm really proud of the work we did on that show together. It was, it was definitely a labor of love for both of us. And that's, you know, not always the case with podcasts. Sometimes, you know, you're like, ah, but we both love the subject. We loved our community. Uh, and it was, and also helped us through some pretty tough times. You know, Jamie was going through some shit at one point I was as well. And, Mm -hmm. and getting to do that podcast really, um, uh, without going into too much detail, that podcast really helped us feel seen um, and and loved at a time when it wasn't so obvious for yeah. some of us in this industry. And uh, and that's as much as I'll say about that, except to say that we're very grateful for the listeners we had. And it was really a lot of fun. And maybe we will come back at one point and do some more because still every time I look at the internet, there's more ghost stories, whether... Oh yeah, debunk or or do a little more research on it. Like, oh shit, it's shit's even weirder than you think. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you look on like TikTok or something like that, there's always something weird on there too. Mm-hmm. True facts. <laughs> some of it's ridiculous. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> and we did some episodes on those, um, which were really funny. Uh, but some of them were like, you know, I think one of my favorite episodes we did it was, and we often do two or three parters depending on the the length or the, the scope of the subject. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorites I know that I did was the Skinwalker Ranch uh, story, okay. which which uh, we did a two-parter on, and it was crazy. And then not long after the podcast, uh, not that there was any, there's no connection here, of course, not that I'm aware of, but <laughs> they they started doing a, sh- a, a, a documentary series on it um, where they have like a new team of researchers on site, you know, still having weird experiences. And it's really cool. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, we did a show on that like a year and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really cool. But like, yeah, so there's a nice little mix of, 
episodes where we kind of debunk some urban legends or a couple of episodes where we actually uh, uh, confirm some urban legends and whatnot. But that's always oh. the fun part, it's the research. Right. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I'm very, and we always, we do it with our, I think the podcast works because we're such good friends and we have a very similar, our senses of humor. Yes. Uh, complement each other beautifully yeah and you know she's very real and kind of to the bone and i'm a pompous ass <laughs> <laughs> who tries too hard to sound intelligent and it's just it's and together we fright crime and yes it's, it's really a lot of fun you, you have to have that <laughs> so chemistry. yeah go go listen <laughs> you absolutely do i mean it's important you know it's why certain podcasts like uh um 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 that's why certain true crime podcasts do so well. What's the name of the one? I was just trying to. Oh, I just lost Morbid? it. What's it called? Huh? Morbid. Oh, that's one. Uh, 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 the the murder podcast. The, the 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 my favorite murder. Yeah, that was oh. the first one I'd ever heard. That was like these people have wonderful chemistry, and that yeah. is making this so much more fun yeah. <laughs> than it has any right to be because it's about murder, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't fascinated. But it's it's nice to you know you feel like you're just kind of sitting down and having a gossip session with your friends, yeah. And that's that's what makes it. That's what that's that's what podcasts. You know, that's the appeal for me, right? And uh, yeah, God, I'm talking about it now, and I really miss doing it. <laughs> it's been about a year since we we stopped. We decided to go out on a high note and both cover subjects that we had been warming to for years, but didn't quite want to cover because they were like our favorite spooky subjects, and we okay. finally. We did them for the last episode. Okay. Uh, well, so oh, as you're times. talking about this and saying that it's a, a year, this episode is actually my year anniversary episode. Mm. So Happy I, anniversary. Thank you. March 11th uh, was the first, uh, March 11th a year ago was the first time I put out an episode on my own podcast. I did another one with another guy and it didn't really work out too well. We, uh, decided that we wanted yeah. to talk about different things um and things yeah. like that and yeah so yeah. you know went my way he decided to start doing his music more which you know if he wants to do that that's great i'm still friends with the guy it's just we weren't wanting to have mm. the same kind of episodes and stuff so i did yeah this. And that, well and that that makes a difference so you kind of branched out on your own to talk about what you want to talk about exactly uh, you know, I, nice. I'm, I'm a nerdy dad and I have all these things I like to talk about. <laughs> I talk about anime. I talk about wrestling. Last week's episode was my beginning band director was on here with me. So, you know, no, it, nice. Yeah. Nice. So it just kind of goes all over the place. But, you know, what, what do you play? What do you play? Uh, I played French horn whenever I was in band. But oh, I, nice. Yeah. Uh, I play a few that's other a really, instruments. That's now a very difficult instrument. I am like respect, my dude. That that's an incredibly <laughs> hard instrument to play. It it takes okay. So he um, was a professional French horn player. He played in the Memphis Symphony mm -hmm. Orchestra and stuff. So he had like a test that he would give out to the beginning band students, and you had to pass that test before he would even let you play the French horn. So not to try to put any, you know, feathers in my hat. Like I passed that test. Not to toot my own horn, but exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, music's always That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Whenever you say you know, that, you know, you've always been into music and stuff that kind of piques my interest because I love music, all things about music. And so, yeah, uh, hearing you say that you play piano and things like that. I took piano lessons for a few years right after I got into band because I was like, oh, if I can play French horn, I can obviously probably play the piano. 
So I took lessons for a few years there with that as well. So I love hearing that people, you know, or have those creative sides. Uh, yeah, I music has been such a part of my life for so long. And, and you know, and I, I kind of, you know, the acting, the writing, music, it's all, they're all part of the same bag for me. Right. Like they're all related. They're all just different modes of self-expression, which is, you know, which I'm always, well, I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with self-expression. Yeah. You have to be to be an artist right. of any kind or to, to aspire to be an artist. And, um, but yeah, it's kind of, it was really good to, to get back into composing or not get back into it, but really start composing. I'd only ever written stuff for piano before, but like, I was like, no, I want to write orchestral stuff. I want to write, you know, symphonies and piano concerto. So I started writing a piano concerto last year and, uh, uh, which was now finished the first movement finally. <laughs> so it was really, it's really cool, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's not very different. It's not so different than anything else I have done for years. Right. Um, that's kind of the learning process for me is realizing, oh, this is just, this is one more angle of something. This is another side of the same coin I've been dealing with for years now. This is not terribly different than acting or writing or anything else. This is just, oh, this is this. Yeah. And um, it's kind of making that realization has allowed me to finish things before, which I usually was very terrible about. I'd start so many projects and just never fucking finish them. And <laughs> but once I kind of made that breakthrough, it's much easier to finish because I'm like, oh, what do you, I've done this a thousand times. Maybe not yeah. this exact thing, but I've basically done it. Right. And, um, you know, and it's like the more you do, the more you're able to do, uh, which is cool. Yeah. But yeah. And so I'm always, I always love talking to musicians. Um, yeah. They, uh, it, it's, it, you can bond over that stuff. And I, I found, you know, talking to other musicians and things like that. So do you play more than, do you just play the piano or are there other instruments that you do? Do you sing? Do you do anything like that? Uh, no, I don't sing. Oh God, no. Um, my, <laughs> my right. husband does and he, he thinks that'd be wonderful, but we disagree. Um, <laughs> I, I, I suppose if I ever sat down to learn, uh, to sing, I, I might be halfway decent at it just because I use my voice professionally all the time. And so I think I get, I get, you know, whatever, but uh, no, I've never really, I briefly tried to play violin as well in my twenties and that just didn't feel as home on the instrument as it, as I did piano. Um, and because I tend to like to compose uh, and that's kind of my relationship to music is I, I'm not so much a performer anymore as I am more like I played. So to work out compositional ideas and right. the piano just, is is an easier instrument to do that on for various reasons if you're writing like orchestral stuff yes and so yeah i i play like a composer <laughs> if that makes any sense i i play like course, a yeah. fledgling composer um i'm not a i'm not a virtuoso by any means but uh but yeah i but i i'm i love learning how other instruments work because i like it's like writing for different types of characters in a show like how does how does one what are things what are the limits what are what are you know what what can these what are the unique possibilities what can this player what's a player thinking if they were to read this passage and expect to do it you know that i love thinking in those terms um so i while i can't play any other instrument really but piano and, and maybe spoons <laughs> um and maybe spoons in a pinch i i love researching uh in other instruments and learning how to write for them in in a way so i'm you know familiar in a in that sense with, with, you know, the whole family of instruments okay. um, out there. But yeah, I want to get more into scent. A friend of mine is recently kind of become obsessed uh, with, with scent. And I'm like, that's not something I've ever dipped into, but I'm, the community seems really interesting and supportive 
in a way that I'm not used to with classical musicians necessarily. I don't mean to throw any shade, Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. What about you? Is it, so you said you, it was like French horn and, uh, and then, but that was, you know, do you play piano at all? I mean, I do. Uh, like I said, I took piano lessons for three years. Um, do you still, do you still play? I mean, do you, whenever I get a chance, you know, I, I really, I don't have a piano at, at my house or anything like that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I actually play about seven different instruments. So <laughs> show I, off. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, that's hey, Mr. Awesome. Guy that, you know, has been in almost every awesome anime that's ever been. So, you know, you you can show <laughs> off. Too, so. All right. I guess we're even. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so I do uh, have a few uh, other questions that I want to ask you before I get you off of here. Um, having a great right. time talking with you, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. Likewise. So at the beginning, before we started recording, you told me that there was a story that had to do with your name. Because uh, I was asking oh. you, you know, uh, <laughs> do you want me to call you J. Michael Tatum or just Michael Tatum? So what is the right, story behind right. that? It, it's it's cute, I think. it's So my real name is, of course, John Michael Tatum, but I've never gone by John in my life. My family has always called me by my middle name. Most of us in my family go by our middle names. I don't know why. It's just a weird thing. My family is a little eccentric. Okay. And um, so John has just never been... John, if someone calls me John, that's how I know, like, oh, it's a salesperson or it's, you know, <laughs> something. It's a, it's, it's a robocall. Yeah. And um, when I started voice acting uh, in that show, the show that uh, I got tricked into being one of the principal characters in was called Samurai 7, which I still think is a wonderful show. Great show. Uh, it's a kind of a sci-fi anime version of Kira, uh, Akira Kurosawa's wonderful film, Seven Samurai, which just happens mm-hmm. to be one of my favorite works of art ever. And uh, the lead in the show, uh, the character's name is Kambe, the kind of head sort of grizzled, <laughs> somewhat cynical but but well but but good-hearted samurai that kind of leads the charge uh, was played by R. Bruce Elliott, who's a dear friend of mine, uh-huh. and um, he was the first member of the cast I met in the studio when I came up to do it one afternoon or one evening. I think I was working on the the second string of episodes, and he was leaving the booth as I was coming in, and I got a chance to talk with him and thought just told him, "Oh, I love your voice," because I was the last one to record on those first six episodes, so I knew what everyone sounded like. Mm-hmm. And also found that their performances helped me um, because I was talking to real people, you know. And uh, so I just told him that. And he was so wonderful and gracious and lovely. Oh, I heard you. You were wonderful. Blah, 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 blah. And um, and he and yeah, and he was all he always went by R. Bruce Elliott, always. And even though we all know him as Bruce and Bevins told me that. And so later it was that it was later that same session where Bevins like, oh, yeah, we need to discuss what you want to be credited as because, you know, those first six episodes are about to come out in DVD and we, you know, all the titles and stuff. And I was like, huh, well, R. Bruce Elliott's classy name. Can I be J. Michael Tatum? Oh, okay. Um, because honestly, John Michael Tatum is an incredibly common name in North Texas, where I'm from. Yes. And and so Michael Tatum is uh, certainly. And so like I was like, well, I need to stand out. So I decided to go by Jay because, hey, if it's good enough for our Bruce Elliott, maybe I can maybe some of that class will rub off on me if I do the same thing. And by God, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I get hired 90 percent of the time because. People just want to ask, want the opportunity to ask me, what do they call me? (laughs) (laughs) 
has nothing to do with talent or how good my auditions are. They just want to get me in to settle a bet with an engineer going, okay, I bet you it's, I bet you it's John. No, it's James. Nah, it's Jeffrey. <laughs> it's like, what's the J stand for? That's, that's why. That's why. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I kind of have a similar thing with my name as well. I put my middle initial in whenever I have my name out there because uh, I, yes. I, I, classic. It, it feels more distinguished, you know, when you have that middle initial and I actually read somewhere that, um, when people see that they actually have more respect for you subconsciously. And so I was like, okay, I'll start doing that, you know? And so that when I sign my name or anything like that, I put my middle initial in there. That's, you know, it's smart. There's a certain, there is a certain kind of class that comes with, with the initial. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the rhythm. I think the, the, the rhythm of it now, because now your name becomes like, it's, it's, it's just a, you know, like Michael Tatum is nice, but Jay Michael Tatum, there's like a little sound at the beginning that kind of, it's yep. like a song verse. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. I like it. I like yeah. it. It's, it's worked well for me, even though it, it drives me insane because people will not know what to call me ever. And so now everyone, including my friends in the industry, just call me Tatum. Cause they're like, well, now we can't make our fucking minds up. So we'll just call you Tatum. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for a lot of people that first met me in the industry were so used to being me referred to as Tatum that they just thought my name was Tatum, like Cher. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, eh, you know, <laughs> I guess there are worse fates. But, yeah. This, that, this is true. This is true. So, I actually, like I said, I met you at a con, uh, the one in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, mm-hmm. It was in January, I believe it was. How many of those do you actually do a year? Uh, lately, quite a few. Um, you know, right before the pandemic, I was averaging about 15 a year. And then, of course, there were no cons for about mm-hmm. a year and a half, two years. Right. And then now we're back into it. I mean, I guess I average about the same or a little more. Okay. Like, I it's it's a lot it's it's nice i I mean again if you'd have told me um if you'd have told me 20 years ago one day i'd I'd, you know be asked to travel all over the country in fact all over the world right um to sit at a table all day and like meet people and sign stuff for them that anyone would care enough for that to be a thing that i could do um i would have told you you were insane Uh, but, but here we are. It's, it's so nice. I think, I think what it has to do is one, I've been in the business for so long and I've, I've been able to hoist, I've been very fortunate in order to, to play a lot of characters that, that, you know, and to be a lot of really cool flagship shows, uh, mm-hmm. just by sheer luck and being available. And, uh, but now it's like what, what I find so interesting about going to conventions is there are whole generations of fans that are frequently younger than the show's they're into mm-hmm. i'm like you're like 12 year olds will come up and want me to sign something from a show that's 20 years old right and i'll be like how did you find it's all streaming everything's streaming yep. now yep. and so everything is kind of existing on this continuum of available media where yes. everyone is watching it and we're also hitting that point where like we're you know i've hit so many i've been around long enough to hit anniversary <laughs> like oh it's been 10 years since that show it's been 15 years since that show yeah um it's really nice i you know like when i started doing this you know it's voice acting it's probably the most anonymous kind of acting there is that one can do professionally because mm-hmm. no one sees your face right um they may not even get to hear your natural voice, depending on you know what your techniques and what you're bringing to the table right. for a particular character. But it's this this crowd, this industry, like the fans are really involved and incredibly supportive, and they're such. They're, it's so wonderful because 
most most creatives don't get this kind of support you know right yeah um and it's so i'm I'm very very lucky and cons are cons are kind of one of the best things about what i get to do i love being in the booth and breathing life into a character that speaks to me you know but it's so nice to just have strangers come up to you and be like i loved you in this (laughs) it's really not it's really nice um you know it's i i love it and it's it's also like real talk it's to have had the luck to be in a show that just happens to mean something to someone like they're just, they found it when they were going through something, God knows I I've been there. Right. And then, and now just by, by sheer luck, you know, you're in a position to just smile and say hi. And it just means so much to that person because of the associations they have with your performance. And that just being empowered to do that for someone is really cool. And I live for it. It, it really reminds me about why we do what we do. You know, like, we act, we create, we tell stories, we, we make music because we're trying to connect. You know, that's what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. And so it's really nice to, not to get all mushy, sorry, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's totally really nice fine. to connect. It's really nice that, that um, it's very validating that, that it's proof that the connection's there Yeah. when I go to cons. And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Man, my fans are doing undoing so many years of psychological damage for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> their love and support is just getting me through so much shit. They have no idea. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you know, and that that is a a, a cool thing that you're getting to uh, experience. You know, uh, for me, um, my kids are the reason why I even found uh, my hero Academia. They were both fans of it, and they're like, "Dad, you have to watch it." Now that's probably one of my favorite shows and them knowing that I was out here talking to you tonight. uh, I'm surprised I didn't have to uh, barricade the door because they didn't bum rush to come out here and talk to you too. (laughs) So your fans, they make things so cool, you know, and being able to talk to them, like you said, they help you to, it's an encouragement, I, I guess you could say to know that what you're doing is something that is helping somebody else. I totally agree. It's the best part about being creative is the the opportunity that, you know, what you create connects you with other people and, and helps them connect with each other too. Right. You know, like that you become part of this community just by doing something you love. Like, yeah, I, I, it's never lost on me how fortunate I am to get to do this because it's, it's a weird business and I have no right to be successful as I am at it. And yet here I am, you know, <laughs> here I am. It's, I, I'm not the, I didn't invent this phrase, but I use it all the time. I, if without fans and, you know, this, this, this wonderful community of support, man, all your favorite voice actors, just a weirdo in a padded room, making funny voices. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what I'm doing in my garage. I'm just sitting in front of a little padding, talking in a microphone, you know? So we, <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Story of our lives. Exactly. <laughs> so if people want to follow you, how can they do that? Uh, I'm not, I must confess, I'm not terribly active on social media, but I do, mm-hmm. I am known to be, you know, I'm kind of a unicorn on Twitter or Instagram. I may make the occasional post. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you know, I, I try to, I'll announce things I'm in, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of shy on social media, so <laughs> I, you know, they can follow. I have a Twitter account that they they could, you know, if, they, if that's their idea of a good time is waiting for me to make one post, you know, a month, <laughs> they're welcome <laughs> to it. 
Um, I, you know, my husband's trying to encourage me to make more TikToks again because it became kind of a, a little fun pastime during the pandemic, but I haven't done one in a while. And Those yeah, were very entertaining, by the way. I, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, they, they really helps. They really helped me just keep me out of trouble by giving me something to do because I was absolutely stir crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as much as I say, I love, I was ready for the lockdown. I was also like, Oh no, I need to do something creative. I need to like, you know, whatever. And we weren't going yeah. in the studio anymore. You know, we weren't, there weren't cons. So I didn't have any socialization. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not as much of an introvert as I thought. Um, <laughs> so I, I did that, but you know, but so I should do that again, but yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on, tw- I'm on the Twitters. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, occasionally if you, if you have a really nice podcast and you're really cool and you give me a good vibe, I'll come on your show. <laughs> if you come up to me at a con, you know, yeah. um, but other than that, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a bit of a wreck. All right. I think it, it adds to my mystery. <laughs> my husband, on the other hand, Brandon McInnes, my God, he's all over social media. Oh, I can't I'm, compete with that. I follow him on, uh, tiktok as well and his videos do crack me up and i i love watching him so he does the uh, voice so acting as well too so you know uh yes he does quite well yeah and he's um, actually in uh my hero academia as well uh plays sir nighty and uh yes man that character i do have to say Ugh. i agree with sir nighty uh on something <laughs> so I, I i'm sorry me and my son argue I, about I, that <laughs> I mean, we all love Mirio, and Mirio yes. is, you know, who who doesn't want Mirio to succeed? Right. Um, but you know, it makes for good drama. It does. <laughs> it does for sure. <laughs> all right, man. Well, it has been great talking to you tonight. This has been the most fun I've had in a minute. So uh, I, I I appreciate oh. you coming on here, and uh, maybe I can get you come back on in the future because there's a whole list of questions here that we didn't even really get into i would love to come back on this is such a this is great i i've, I've had so much fun tonight thank you awesome um, you know I, I am a talker but not all the time <laughs> <laughs> so it's it has to, has to be the right person i think we just click so yeah. yeah anytime my friend anytime awesome all right well you have a great night <laughs> you do the same man let's do this again sometime Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. And I'm Dawn. And if you've ever watched a TV show and thought to yourself, oh my god, that season finale plot twist was absolutely bonkers. Or seen a movie and thought, wow, I need to talk to somebody about this train wreck immediately. Then we think you'll fit right in with our podcast, I Hate It, Let's Watch It. We watch TV shows like Riverdale and Emily in Paris. And movies like Deep Water, Killer Sofa, Rubber, and Deadly Illusions. And we give them the total rinse they deserve. It's basically group therapy for movie masochists. So come check us out wherever you stream podcasts. It took me 10 years to make the perfect man cave. And then we took it over. And we made it into the multiversal chamber. Then I started my own podcast. And we took that over too. And we're the co-hosts, the Multiverse Kids. Yeah, and I'm the dad, the geeky dad. And every week, we what? We review the movies, shows, and books. Games and toys. Yeah. And sometimes we even have a special guest. So, join us every week on the Geeky Dad Podcast. All right, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with J. Michael Tatum. He was a lot of fun to talk to, and uh, I was very excited for you guys to hear this episode. 
So I've got some pretty cool stuff coming up. Um, like I said, this is my anniversary episode, and I was very excited to have somebody on uh, that was a little outside of what I've had on here before. I would love to get more people like him on this show, and maybe I can in the near future. But um, I've been doing this show for a year now, and I have thoroughly enjoyed every bit of it. And I thank you guys for sticking around and listening, and for all the new people who have started listening because I have seen an influx of people listening to the episodes. And for that, I thank you all. I thank you all for showing up every week and hearing what I have to say. Um, It's just greatly appreciated. And I hope that I can continue in this next year to bring you more content that you want to hear as well. And speaking of more content, next week's episode, I will be having a man on that um, I've been talking to for a little bit and everything like that, trying to get this set up. I've actually had his tag team partner on the show. He was part of STF in Wrestling for a Cause. And I've had on Alex Royal. Now I'm going to have on JD. JD sounds like an awesome guy. I've talked to him over Facebook, back and forth, and he's excited to be on, and I'm excited to talk with him. He's a dad just like me, and uh, we're going to have plenty to talk about. So make sure that you tune in next week to hear that episode with JD, and uh, just stick around. Listen to all these great things that I have coming up. I've got a bunch of cool episodes planned out already. I'm actually planned out to the end of April right now, so I've got some pretty cool ones, like I said, so just stick around. If you guys want to follow me online, you can do so by going to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Hive or Snapchat um, or even TikTok. I'm on all of those platforms. If you want to follow me on Facebook, you can go to at I-Y-G-A-D-A-P or you can just look up if you give a data podcast. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can go to give a data podcast. Uh, Follow me there. I'm also, like I said, on Twitter and Hive. Those are both at DadPodcast11. I update all those regularly to make sure that you know what is coming next on the show. And uh, yeah, just go out there, follow those accounts, interact with those accounts. Let me know what you guys think of this. And also, as you're listening to this episode, go out there and rate it and review it. And let me know what you think of this episode. And let let me know what you think of any of the other episodes I've had here as well. Um, If you're on Spotify, uh, you can go to the top, and I have a star rating that you can give me there. If you're listening on Podbean, you can thumbs up an episode. Uh, You can leave me a comment if you want to on an episode. Same with uh, iTunes. You can go and review it and leave me a star rating as well. So go out there and let me know what you guys think of these episodes that I'm bringing to you. If you want to send me an email, you can do so by going to giveadatapodcast at gmail.com. Send me a line there. Let me know what you think. If there's something you would like for me to talk about on the show, send me a line. Let me know. I look forward to talking to you guys. I look forward to interacting with you. So, like I said, I've been doing this for a year now, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for this show. The first year was so much fun. I enjoyed every minute of it. I got to talk to lots and lots of different people. Um... When I made the first episode, which actually, funny enough, is my most downloaded episode, is episode one, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with the show. I just knew that I wanted to do something. I didn't want to just quit because, like you all know, I was part of another podcast and uh, we stopped making that show. And so I didn't want to just quit. I wanted to do something myself, but I wasn't sure 
how this was going to turn out. And luckily, I was able to find enough people who wanted to come on and talk with me and things like that to where I figured out this is what this show is going to be. And I hope that you guys have enjoyed this last year. And I hope that you enjoyed this year that I'm going to be bringing to you as well. I thank you guys again for everything. I want to give a shout out to my podcast network, the OIW Podcast Network. If you like what you hear on my show, there's plenty of other shows that are a lot like mine on there that you can listen to as well. They do wrestling. They do pretty much anything you can think of. They do Star Wars. There's even one that does retro arcades and retro gaming on there. So if you like that kind of stuff, go out there, look at the OIW Podcast Network. I will have a link to them in my show notes. So yeah, go and check them out. I also have links to merch. I have two t-shirts that are out on Shirtcasters. Go and look those up if you want a shirt from them. Uh, I would love for you guys to get one. That way we can kind of, you know, advertise the show. Share this episode with your friends. Share it with your family. Let everybody know about it. Because I feel this was a great episode and a lot of fun to record. And I can't wait to do more like this. Also, I want to give a shout out to the guy who made my ending theme song, D-Cure. He's an awesome guy. You hear me say it all the time. He is great when it comes to making music. He's made all kinds of great music. And uh, yeah, he created my theme song for me at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear there, go and follow him. I will have links to his page on my show notes as well. Go and follow him. Go and follow all of these people. Go out there and, uh, you know, give them some love as well. I love you guys. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And I will see you next time. Bye. On. He calls us beautiful people, then tells us who we have on. The best part of my day, the world blocked out in my pods. Tell my friends all about it so that they follow along. And the host is kind of nerdy, but guess what? I am as well. I don't feel so alone, and I began walking out of my shell. Heard a story, I need a connection I haven't felt. I'll be looking for the next one, tell then farewell. It's the podcast for me. Have it on better go see. Download and tune in remotely. It's the podcast for me. Have it on better go see. And listen closely. Download and tune in remotely. This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network.